Mercy Road Church started 12 years ago. It's incredible the impact the church has had in just a short period of time. You may not realize the church actually started in a home just four minutes down the road from this location. Hello, my name's Kyle. My name's Eric Fields. My name's Brian Cook. I'm Justin Cruzy. We're gonna be planning a church on the north side of Indianapolis, right at the heart of the population of the entire city. Our vision from day one was to see a network of churches happen all over our state, to actually see the kingdom of God expand during our lifetime. already seen five Mercy Road churches, soon to be 30 churches through Multiply Indiana planted all over the state. A decentralized approach to church through the empowering the priesthood of all believers, believing nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. As we celebrate 12 years together, we want to thank each and every single one of you for your support, your generosity, your prayer, your dedication, your commitment, your sacrifice and to celebrate all that the Lord has done and all that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lifetime. It's such an incredible journey and movement to be a part of. Thank you all as we celebrate 12 years together as a church movement. It's incredible what God has done over the last 12 years, and it's because of the faithfulness of so many people believing that the decentralized approach to church where God is actually in control, actually works, that believe that, that God is on the move today, not just 2,000 years ago. And so I want to thank some people in the room. You may not realize this, but during uh, COVID, we sent out four to 500 people from this church, $3 million to plant Mercy Road churches, buying properties, donating to them. Uh, there are more people worshiping in other Mercy Road churches today than there will be here at the Carmel location. There will even be uh, thousands of people worshiping through the Multiply Indiana churches we've helped plant all over the state of Indiana, in the suburbs, in the city, in rural communities, all over our state. It is incredible what God is doing, and it's because of the faithfulness of so many people. And so over half of our church here at uh, the Carmel Church are new in the last few years. And so I want to celebrate some of you who have been sacrificing for a while. This is the only time we do this all year. Uh, how many of you here, by a show of hands, you have been around since before the pandemic? You've been around since before the pandemic. Wow, that's a lot of you at this service. How many of you, let's see, you've been here at least five years, five years. Man, okay. How many of you have been here at least seven years? There's a lot. How many of you have been here since the College Avenue days uh, in the building? Man, wow. Can we thank those uh, who have been doing this for so long? It's so cool to see. We'll, we'll try it. I don't know. Here we go. Anybody been here since the school days? You attended when we were portable in the school? Yeah, a couple of you. Okay, yeah, Kyle, right over here. Uh, and 
Kyle, you may be the only, anybody since uh, before we even met and we were meeting at Outposts in the home, anybody here? Okay, my wife Lisa's over there. <laughs> Kyle, you're here. Okay, can you give it up for them as well? It's so cool that God has taken just a few people, made so many disciples. And I, I know your, your hands may get tired this morning because we have a lot to celebrate. And I love what God is doing. You know, I can even be happy on a day like today after just a, a, a terrible, terrible thing last night. Do we have any Ohio State fans in the room? Uh, you don't need to boo them. It's okay. We're a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We want to celebrate that. And you, Ohio State definitely was the best team on the field when Notre Dame had all 11 players out there. So the uh, last two plays, we only had 10, I guess. So, uh, man, it was hard. But you know what? Sometimes life doesn't work out the way you think it's going to work out, does it? And I want to talk this morning a little bit about what it's like to follow God, even when things seem to not always be working out, even when it's hard. I want to talk about what it means to live a surrendered life and to live into God's missional calling that he's placed on your life. It's a, it's a big message this morning, and I want to use an analogy because we have a, a lot to celebrate. But if I'm being honest, in the back of my mind, uh, winter's coming. <laughs> Anybody feel that a little bit? Like this weather's so beautiful today. And I know in like a couple months, I'm going to be thinking about summertime. And so I've declared this morning as we celebrate 12 years that summer is not over. Come on now. And I, I want to use a little bit of an analogy for you this morning. When you're in the middle of the wintertime, it's freezing cold. I want you to think about when it's like 85 degrees out and you were poolside this summer. And anybody when, uh, here's the worst thing about when I go to the pool with my kids, uh, they always want me to get in and eventually they con me into it. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't even matter how warm the pool is. It always feels freezing to me. Anybody with me on that? And, you know, some of you, when it comes to getting into that pool and it feels a little cold, some of you kind of, you dip your toe in a little bit and you make that as a long and painful process as you can. You get that, anybody do that? You get that foot in and then you like slow, you're like ankle deep, you're like, it's so cold, it's so cold. And then you go down to the knees and you're just making yourself miserable. Uh, let me give you a little pro tip here. All you do, anybody know what to do? You get a running start and you just jump right in, right? You get that over with. Some of you are going to do a little cannonball this morning, spiritually, into the pool of life that God has for you. See, I find that some of us, when it comes to following God, we want to do a little bit of that. Tiptoe around a little bit. Maybe I'll see what that feels like to follow God. I don't really want to go in, but you know what? I'll see what it's like a little bit. And I'm going to ask you this morning to do a cannonball and say, God, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to jump into whatever you got for me, because I think that's what the passage calls us to. Here's a statement for us. Some of us this morning need to stop living at the edge of faith and just simply jump in. There is, uh, if you're taking notes this morning, and you can write that down, if you're living at the edge of faith, that you may need to just simply jump in this morning, because some of you have been towing around for a little too long. And I'm not just talking to those who may be here, and you're not a Christian yet, you're atheist or agnostic, we wanted you to know we started this church for you, we believe nobody's too far from God, experienced life change through Jesus the church really should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, including the Ohio State and Michigan fans in the room. Uh, but the, the reality is this morning that for some of us, we need to take that leap of faith and go, God, I'm going to stop putting this off and I'm all in. Are you ready to study God's word together? Yeah. 
I, I, I want to use the story of one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament to talk about what that looks like to follow God's calling in your life. It's the story of Elisha. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, let me tell you about Elisha. Elisha is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He's going to be given the mantle of faith from Elijah, the previous prophet. He's going to have a double portion of the Spirit of God, it says. He's going to do some incredible things. He's going to divide the Jordan River. He's going to uh, raise someone from the dead. He's going to make an axe head float, kind of a little parlor trick. He's going to do all kinds of miraculous things, uh, more miracles than any other prophet in the Old Testament. But it starts with a simple and vague calling that we're going to look at together. Here we go. First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 19. It says, I was going to talk about Elijah first. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Let me give you a little backstory here. Elijah in 1 Kings 18 has this incredible story, man. Like he was the last prophet of God left. Everybody's bailed. And they're all worshiping, ironically, this false god, Baal, Baal. And there are hundreds of prophets of Baal. And Elijah shows up and he says, let's find out which god is real. And so he says, I'm going to make this altar and you rain down fire from Baal and I'll rain down fire from the one true God. And so these false prophets, they like try and conjure up the gods. They begin to dance around, they cut themselves, they elicit all kinds of emotional response and, and to try and get the gods to show up and light the, and nothing happens. And here's what Elijah does. After they're done, he builds like a little moat around the altar. He, he fills the moat with water and just drenches the altar and the meat with water. And then he doesn't try and conjure up God and try and impress him. And he doesn't do any dancing or any eliciting of emotional response. He just simply prays. And God rains down fire, man. That thing just blows up in an instant and everybody sees who the real God is. He sees the power and the authority of God. He'll defeat all those prophets in, in that moment too. And so he sees one of the greatest miracles in all of the Bible. But guess what? Elijah is a human being, just like you and me. And the very next chapter, he just saw the power of God. And he's so afraid of what people might do to him and has forgotten about what God is doing that he's fine, he hides himself away to try and protect himself from those who might kill him. And so God comes to speak to him. And he doesn't come in an earthquake or fire or any of that. He comes in the still small voice of the Lord and just begins to speak to Elijah because Elijah has forgotten who he is, what he's capable of. And all he can see is, is the little problems he has right in front of him in his life. Read with me here as it goes on. It says, then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Seriously? Like I just like burned up the altar. You were there. What are you doing? He replied, Elijah says, well, I've been very zealous for you, the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're, they're trying to kill me too, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Anybody been there recently freaking out about things in your life and what's going on, wondering where in the world God is? In this moment, God shows up in a still small voice, and he's going to remind him that he has a purpose and plan, even if he can't see it in his life. And so he gives him that plan. He goes in verse 
15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you have come and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mehalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will be put to death, any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death, any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in all Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and the, whose mouths have not kissed him. That he says, I know you're panicked, Elijah, but you can't see the big picture. The story of God is going to continue, even if you're not a part of it. And if you ask over the last 12 years, and it's actually been longer than 12 years, there was a, a, a year before we launched the church at Clay Middle School in Carmel here, where we actually just met in homes. We started five outposts because we wanted people to see that was every bit as much church as a worship gathering like this. That we were a community on mission trying to make an impact, believing that God could use anybody. That the same Holy Spirit that was in Billy Graham is in you if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and receive his Holy Spirit in your life. Think about that that you are capable to make a huge impact with your life. And I want to tell you this morning that I think through the, the calling of Elisha that we're going to see, and even the story of Elijah, God's best life for us, that, that life to really make an impact, it requires complete surrender. We will never get to see God's best in our life if we don't live out of complete surrender. That's what I want to talk about. Will you pray with me? God, uh, man, I thank you for all these people that came out. We're celebrating. We got things hanging from the ceiling here this morning. We got people from uh, attending from different places online around the globe. And we just want to pause and acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. God, I, I know um, that through your word that you're speaking to people this morning. And we saw it in the first service. And I just pray that you would help me get out of the way. Because I know, we know how real you are. We've seen it for over 12 years. That it's not just in the New Testament that we see radical life change. We baptize more people every year, God. And so we just worship you. We thank you. We pray that you would speak to us in a radical way this morning. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. You know, stepping into what God's best is in your life and living out of surrender and a calling, it... it it's really actually pretty hard if you think about it. It means that you have to not do some things that you really want to do and do the things that God wants you to do. And that's not always easy. It's pretty simple, but it's not easy. And I think about it even with my own kids, you know, as a dad of three children, one teenager, one eight-year-old, one 11-year-old, I'm learning every day how to be a parent. And it seems like every year I start thinking, I've finally got this thing down. And then I realize I'm just as bad as I've always been. And, you know, even just recently, uh, we took, uh, Lisa actually was out hiking with a couple of our kids, and the youngest one, uh, who's eight, Jet, he's awesome. He's really beginning to mature in some ways. He's a lot of fun. We love talking to him. He's kind of like an old soul. He has really deep conversations with you. But he was out hiking, and uh, he wanted to go one direction, and he was looking for some crawdads because he's an Indiana boy, wanted to go catch some crawdads in the creek. Anybody with me on that? Teach your kids the right way? Yeah. We, so he wants to go out and catch crawdads, and mom's like, no, we're going this way. He's like, nope, I'm going this way. 
And so he begins to hike a different path around this place, and they should have met up later, but they missed each other somehow. And the next thing you know, Lisa's going all over this wooded area trying to find Jet, and we didn't know it. Jet's actually panicked, and he's crying out to mom trying to find And then Lisa's calling me on the phone, and I'm like 15 minutes away. She's like, I can go over here right now. I can't find Jet. She's panicked. Tears are welling up. I'm hopping in the car. I'm panicking. I'm running over there. And then she runs into him and finds him. And this whole emotional situation, he was a little traumatized, but the reality was it boiled down to one choice. His mom wanted him to go this way, but he wanted to go this way. I want to tell you, sometimes in my life and your lives, God has some very simple things. It's just, hey, come this way, but it requires you to surrender to his will. And you're just like, nah, I'd rather go this way whether it's in our dating lives, in our marriages. For some of us, it's even in the area of our careers or our financial lives. And we say, God, I know you think you know best, but I got a different plan and purpose I want to do. I want us to spiritually mature a little bit this morning and start saying, what does it look like to live out of the calling of God, to live a surrendered life to his will for us? Because look what happens next in this story. In 1 Kings 19, uh, beginning in In verse 19, it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So Elijah's now doing what God called him to do. He goes and finds this young man who's a farmer. This farm boy, he's going to be plowing his lot with oxen, and he's going to call him to come and follow And Elijah goes and puts his cloak around him. It's symbolic that my mantle, I'm passing it on to you. That God's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you. But you have to choose to come and follow him and go the direction he's asking you to go. We're going to break all this down, but look at verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. He's like, I'm going to come and follow you, but first let me kiss mom and dad goodbye. And then he burns plan B to the ground. There's no going back to the former life he once had. We're going to break down what all of that means this morning, but the reality was he chose in that moment to live a surrender to the calling of God in his life. You know, I can tell you firsthand, I've made poor choices in my life. One of the best choices I ever made was to follow a specific calling God gave us to move to Indiana and start a church. Now, I know some of you heard this story a hundred times, so I'm going to tell it quick, but I literally, in a moment of prayer, believed that God was saying, move to Indiana I was living in Southern California. My wife was, is from Southern California. Have you ever been to Southern California in the wintertime? I, I was like, the Lord has already called us, and I'm already there. And in this moment of prayer, he said, move to Indiana, and three friends of mine from high school were going to help us. Now, I know what you're saying. Like, I look back at it now, and it's like, it seems crazier every time I tell the story. But this really did happen. And I remember I tried to give myself some outs. I was like, mm, okay, maybe that wasn't God. So I, I called uh, Lisa on the phone. I was actually at this conference when it happened, and I called her on the phone. I said, hey, 
I had this thing happen, and I, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, so I want you to pray for 24 hours, and then you tell me what God told you. And if he tells us the same thing, then we'll go and do it. So I knew I had an out, baby. I built it in. I baked that thing in. And she, so the next day, 24 hours later, this is true, I call her up and I'm like, okay, it's been 24 hours. What did God tell you? She goes, I didn't hear anything. I was like, yeah. And then she goes, and then here was, the, here was the kicker though. She goes, yeah, but it sounds like he's not calling me. He's calling you. He's speaking to you. So if he's telling you to go and do something, I'll come with you and I'll do whatever God's asking us to do. I was like, I don't think you understood what I was doing here. <laughs> and you may want to pray some more. But, and so then I told her the whole thing, and she's like, hey, yeah, let's do it. We'll move to Indiana. And guess what? I sent an email to 40 people. Every, I said, hey, you want to plant a church with us? They all said no. The only three people who said they would help us plant the church were those three friends of mine from high school that God said would. They were in that video that you just watched. And... Uh, the, the one that wasn't a Christian, him and his wife got baptized here. The other one who moved from California with me, him and his wife got baptized in a horse trough oh, at the College Avenue building. And everything God laid out happened. Following God's specific calling in my life was the best decision I ever made. I'm telling you. Marrying my wife, having kids, and following that calling, best decisions I've ever made in my life. I made a lot of done bonehead decisions. And some of you are like, well, I don't know God's specific calling. He hasn't, you know, shown himself to me like that. But you know the general calling to proclaim your faith and what God has done in your life, to help those in need, that twofold mission that every believer is called to, to live a life of impact, to live for more than just a nine to five and some fun weekends and a couple of vacations throughout the year and the American dream. You're called to live a countercultural life, to live on mission and to serve the purpose that God has you and created you for. And the enemy wants to steal, kill and, kill, and destroy that entire vision to get you to live selfishly for yourself. And there are reasons we do it. So I want to break that down in this passage, the calling of God. Here's, first of all, for the people in the room that maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. You've, maybe you've been a part of this church for a while. Maybe you've uh, been a part of other churches and you've lived on mission and it's kind of worn you out. and You've seen the brokenness of the sin of humankind. And you're tired, and maybe you're like Elijah. You're going, God, where are you? If you're tired, I want to encourage you, God still has a plan. If you can see beyond just your own issues in your life, God still has a plan. Look with the story again in verse uh, 13. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. This may not be up there. And went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, Where, what are you doing, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites rejected you. Verse 15, then the Lord said to him, go back the way you, you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you go there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. And he's going to give him the whole plan here. Elijah didn't know the plan. He's hiding in a cave and he's afraid because he thinks God has given up on him. But God had a whole plan going on behind the scenes that he could never see. If you're here and you're worn out, I want to tell you the God of the universe can handle it. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, God says to you. 
He's got a whole plan going on behind the scenes, but Elijah can't see. And he tells him to anoint all these different people. And trust me, I'm going to raise up the next generation of people to carry on the torch of faith. And you can't see it. And you're hiding and destitute and afraid. But I want to tell you, don't give up. Some of you want to throw in the towel on your marriage. You want to throw in the towel on your your workplace and relationships, and you want to give up on life. I get it. It's okay to be tired. But to admit that to God and say, God, I know you got a plan going on behind the scenes. Help me to be faithful even when I'm tired. Some of us need that encouragement this morning. Because Elijah did that and actually listened to the still small voice of the Lord, a double portion of his faith was given to the next prophet. He will carry on the mantle and do even greater, more miraculous things. If you're here and you're tired this morning, know that God's plan is still going on behind the scenes. Number two, if you're taking notes, if you're newer then to living out your faith, and I don't mean you're young, and I don't mean that you just became a Christian. I mean that you're newer to really living your faith out. Just saying, God, I'm going to live a surrendered life. And not just be a church attender. Look what happens, what Elisha had to make this difficult choice. Verse 20. And I want to encourage you, sorry, point number two. If you're new to this, you don't have to know in order to go. That even rhymed for you, so maybe you'll remember it this morning. If you're new, you don't have to know in order to go. Look at Elisha, verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He leaves him behind and they says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. He, he doesn't say, hey, uh, let me you know, pray about this for a while. Nothing wrong with praying. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with seeking wise Christian counsel. Nothing wrong with taking your time. But when you know what God is asking you to do, and he knows because this is the prophet of God speaking to him, and some of you know this morning some corrections and changes in your life God is calling you to make, You don't have to know all the details and all the specifics in order to do what he's asking you to do, because sometimes God gives some very vague details, right? Think about Moses. He's like, hey, go, go, take my people and go. And then then there's going to be a promised land. I I promise you there's going to be a promised land. It's going to happen. Uh, He doesn't mention you're going to have to part the Red Sea and some people are going to doubt. You're going to live in the wilderness for 40 years eating Pop-Tarts off the ground. He didn't tell him any of that stuff. He's just like, go. And Moses goes, and he gets to see the wonders of God. Sometimes those vague things that when he's uh, on the water and, and Peter's on the boat and he says, come, just come. And, and Peter has to have the audacity to, to, to step outside the boat. And while he'll eventually fail, he'll be the only person other than Jesus in human history that got to walk on water. Jesus didn't stop, and and Peter didn't go, well, explain the metaphysics to me before I do it. (laughs) How's all this going to work? Let me take some time to figure out all that. He just says, come, and he does it. Some of you this morning, God in your marriage isn't telling you how he's going to heal everything and fix everything, but he's simply saying, stay, pray. Some very simple steps. Some of you in your dating life, You know that you're in an unhealthy relationship that is drawing you away from God, not towards God. And you know God is telling you, you need to break this off. It's hurting you spiritually. It's causing problems that other people could see in your life. And you're like, "Mm, no, I want to go this direction, God. He's saying, no, just break it off. 
doesn't give you all the details, and you're thinking, well, what, am I ever going to find somebody? Am I going to be alone forever? I gotta be... And he's just simply saying, break it off. Sometimes in our life, those very simple things, you don't have to know all the details in order to be obedient to what God is asking you to do in your life. Some of you in the room, he's saying, go and adopt a child. You're like, I, I, I don't have the finances. How is that going to work? Where is that all going to happen? He's just saying, just, just go do it. There's too many kids that don't have a home and we're followers of Jesus. It's a way that we can make an impact. He's saying to some of you in the room that I know you don't know how this is all going to work out financially, but you need to go start that nonprofit or start that outpost or start that huddle and live on mission in a way maybe you've been desiring to do, but you've been putting it off because you're just like, I don't have all the details figured out. And he's saying you never will. It's your naivety that's actually going to help you along the way. Think about Peter for just a second. He, he goes and he follows Jesus and God doesn't give him all the details yet. He doesn't tell him, hey, you're going to one day, you're going to uh, you know, live with me for three years and then I'm going to be crucified and everybody's going to try and hunt you down and you're going to live in fear and then you're going to have to spread my word, the good news all over the, the Roman Empire and you'll eventually be crucified and choose to do it upside down because you don't want to be crucified the same way that your Savior was crucified because that would be you want to honor him in that way. He doesn't give him all those gory details, does he? He just says, come, follow me. Some of us this morning, we have stories of people that have had redemption because they actually trusted God to take that first step to get out of the boat, to go, just like Elisha does in this passage. He's just going to leave everything because he knows what God is calling him to do. The third and final point is this. Whether you're the Elijah in this passage or the Elisha in this passage, Either way, it's time to burn the plows. You know what uh, every birthday bash does for me? I didn't share this at the last service. It reminds me how fast life is moving. Because like the second birthday bash, I can remember that day. We baptized 12 people in a horse trough at uh, College Avenue building. And there was a mini little earthquake in the room but it wasn't a real earthquake because we looked and there was no earthquakes. God, I really believe, shook the building in that moment. It was a radical, crazy moment, and I always remember that. That seems like yesterday. It's not going to be long before some of the people in this room, we look back and our life has moved past us. And I'm convinced that we dislike change so much, we will put off forever burning the plows in our life, what God is asking us to do, and go and do the thing he's calling us to do. Look at 1 Kings 19, verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, I love this, and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So get this. He literally <laughs> takes remember, he's a farm boy. All he's done every day of his life, think about it, is what? He gets up in the morning, has a little breakfast, he goes out and plows the field. What's he doing all day long? The polite way to say it is he's staring at oxen rears all day long. That's his life. He wakes up, he gets some breakfast, he goes out, he stares at oxen rears, they plow the field, he does that all day long. They plant it. He comes back in. One day he has the harvest and he wakes up and he does that day after day after day. That's his livelihood. And in that moment, he takes every day of his life and he says, it's over, it's done. 
And, and just to make sure he could never go back, he burns the plowing equipment to light the meat on fire to all these oxen. That's a lot of meat. His business, his livelihood, all gone. And then he disseminates it to the entire community and they all eat together to celebrate this moment. That's somebody who understands what surrender looks like. He's slaughtered the oxen in a ceremonial sacrifice to celebrate everything is about to change. Man, I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to discover God's best life for you, as we started with, it won't happen unless you understand what complete surrender looks like. And I can tell you, the best decision you will ever make is to follow God's calling in your life. You will get to see the fruit of what happens. Did you know that there is a spiritual act God has given us to symbolize this act of surrender, to give your life over in that way to him? It's the act of baptism. Uh, every year we've been baptizing more people, and I don't know what's going on this year that continues to happen. We're baptizing people almost every single week. Uh, we didn't plan to do any baptisms at the first service, and we just filled up the tank anyway. And there were three people that came down and just got baptized in their street clothes this morning. Because they were saying, I'm going to burn the plows in my life. I'm going to stop talking about this stuff. I'm going to start living out the life that God has for me. And you may have been a Christian for a while, but I just want to challenge you this morning. And we, we may have nobody get baptized at this service. We filled up the tank anyway. That's fine. But I want to tell you, there are many Americans living the American dream who wake up every day and they, they plow the fields of their life. They go through the monotony of life. And if they just join with the journey that God has before them, the incredible life, the calling to be a countercultural Christian who actually lives out their faith in a radical way in their lifetime, they would have incredible stories to tell for all of eternity. But we're so afraid to burn the plows. We're so afraid. We got all the reasons, but like, like if I did that, God, like, well, then you would want me to, to start, you know, living for you and start living differently. And then we got that like one verse that disagrees with our politics. And so we're like, well, I could never become a Christian. And then what about the dinosaurs? Like, you know, I got to figure that out first where the dinosaurs in the Bible are before I could follow Jesus. I've, I've, or maybe it's for some of you, you take it another day. I'd have to get practical, start living my faith out. And then I would mean I have to be a generous person. I, you know, one day I got to be a Christian who gives 10% of my resources and ties to the local church. You know what? I don't want to do that because I like my resources. And so, you know what? I don't want to go down that path. I just don't think I'm ever going to be a Christian. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. You don't have to surrender your life and say, I'm going to be Mother Teresa today. Because guess what? You're probably never going to be Mother Teresa. Let's get real. <laughs> but... The beginning of the journey of the relationship of knowing the creator of the universe who redeemed you begins with a simple act of surrender. And you, I, I'm not going to tell you what you have to become. What I'm going to tell you is you got to get to know him because it's incredible. And, and you'll miss it. You'll miss it if you don't surrender and burn your plows in your life and say, God, I'm just going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to follow you. And so I want to close with a video. And it's going to show you somebody who did that very thing. I mentioned the story of Peter. This is one of my favorite clips from uh, Chosen Season 1 when Jesus is going to call Peter. And Peter had every reason not to follow Jesus. He's making every excuse in the book. And in this, I love the, the context of this clip. It, it has a storyline that's not in the Bible, but you know, it potentially could be true. And it, it essentially, like he, he's out fishing all night long because he needs to pay some debts off, and they've caught nothing. And he's about to get in big trouble. 
And then Jesus shows up in his life. And I don't think it means that when Jesus shows up, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and get rich or something. That's not the point of the passage. Abundant life doesn't mean more finances. It means you get to know God. And you're going to see what he does when he responds to the power and authority of Jesus in his life. Let's watch this clip together. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. We've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. brother and the baptizer <laughs> you are the lamb of god yes i am depart from me i am a sinful man you don't know who i am the things i've done don't be afraid simon i'm sorry we, we've waited for you for so long we believe but my faith how sorry Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> My 
What do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. I love that clip where Jesus tells Peter, you know, he says, I'll do anything, God, whatever you want me to do. I'll go, I'll do whatever. And he, he simply says, follow me. That's it. He has to tell him all the story that's going to happen. The three years of ministry, the, the start of the early church, the rapid expansion of the gospel all over the Roman Empire, his eventual crucifixion upside down. He doesn't give him any of the details. He says, Follow me. I love James and John there. They're like, uh, we'll come too, but, but what about dinner? And, and I really believe this. Some of us in the room today, if we don't choose to follow him and live a surrendered life, we never will. And we've got all the reasons, and it's sometimes as silly as that. Follow me. But, but what about, what are people going to think? I'm telling you, we've had atheists and agnostic people who have had to change their entire lives who have seen their family look at them differently because they come and chose to follow them. I know it can be hard sometimes, but Jesus isn't going through all the details. He's just doing a very simple thing. He's saying, come and follow me. You see, to conclude our time, when Elisha goes back and he burns the plows, there's, there's no going back. He's the new creation. The old is gone. The new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I believe in the New Testament, Jesus has a story many, many years later where he's playing off the story of Elisha when a person comes to me, comes to him, and he says, come and follow me. And the, the young man says, well, first let me go back and say goodbye to my mom and dad, just like Elisha. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, Luke 9. You come and follow me. You don't even have time to go back and say goodbye. But because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus there is an urgency to our faith now. We don't know when Jesus will return. We don't know how many breaths we have on this planet. But you can know the living God, live with him eternally in heaven, and experience the spirit of God in your life now, to live a missional, a life of mission and calling, to live on purpose, to help people in need, to proclaim your faith, to be a countercultural Christian who actually lives it out and means what they're talking about, and don't just want to warm a chair on a Sunday, but say, God, I'm going to be a changed person. The old is gone, the new has come. It only comes, that best life with God, when we fully surrender. And I want to give everybody the opportunity to do that this morning. Will you pray with me, God? I thank you for so many people that packed out this room on a beautiful September morning. They could have been doing so many other things, God, and they came into this space. And I know you have them here for such a time as this. That there are at least one person in this room, maybe multiple people in this room, maybe many people that you're calling to surrender in a specific area of their life. 
or maybe to surrender to your will and recommit their life to you, Jesus. Or maybe for the very first time to say, I'm going to stop going my own direction and I'm going to start going yours. So whoever that is in the room, I invite you in this important moment to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Pray this with me, God. On this day, I commit my life to you fully. As Peter did, I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. I ask for forgiveness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And then I surrender my time, my talents, and my treasures to you as Lord. God, you know the people in the room who just prayed that and meant that. God, I believe that some of them this morning and maybe some people who didn't even pray there, that it's the time to take a stand and to live a surrendered life and to follow you in the act of baptism this morning. And we don't have anybody planned. I mean, nobody may get baptized, God. But I pray, God, if there's even one person here that you're calling to live a surrendered life and they need to get baptized this morning, that they would have the courage to do it. And we got a free t-shirt for them, God. We got plenty of towels. We got warm water. We got a free study Bible for them this morning. But I pray they do it because they want to surrender their life to you as Lord and to demonstrate that to a hurting world. So we come to you, God, and we thank you for your grace and forgiveness. And if anybody here wants to follow you in the act of baptism, that they'd have the courage to get up as we worship these last two songs. Go to the prayer room and come and follow you. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said. Amen.